Take your copy of God's scripture this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And some of you uh, were here last night. You know we read through this scripture. Some of you and your families, you may have read through it last night or this morning. Many of you I look at a little bit, look like you're, you, you have a little bit of sleep still in your eye, especially you young couples that were awakened early maybe. But maybe you read this scripture this morning. I mean, it is the, it is the story of Christmas itself. It reminds us of really why we celebrate this day and why we celebrate this season. We celebrate because Jesus was born. We celebrate because he is the only Savior and that he is our Savior. That is the reason we celebrate. Listen to the way this proclamation came in that first, well, that first night as Christmas itself was announced. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What an announcement for the shepherds that night, but what an announcement for the nation of Israel, and yes, for all of the world. There the shepherds were, this rugged bunch of shepherds out keeping their flocks, just an ordinary night, and God demonstrates his glory. You know, God has a way of doing that. Just in ordinary moments, ordinary times, God somehow breaks through, and he shows his strength and his power to us. But especially this night, a night unlike any other, this angel delivers the message and of course he begins his announcement by just saying don't fear don't don't have anxiety you could imagine if you were there that night and all of a sudden a bright light and you saw an angel i mean you could only imagine the fear that must grip your heart he says don't fear don't tremble well that's certainly a theme of the scripture, isn't it? Not to fear. You hear that often announced. I think I read someplace that some 365 times it is recorded for us in the scripture, do not fear. I like that because basically, as Rick Warren says, we have a do not fear for every day of the year. 
Every day of the year, we're to be reminded that we shouldn't fear, but we have peace and joy. And here in particular, they were to have joy over this announcement. And where I want to focus this morning is verse 11 in particular. Because he says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, as the shepherds were processing that, I do believe that they are thinking in these messianic terms, and rightly so. These people who had grown up hearing about the Messiah, the king that would come and deliver them. A, a king in the, in the same vein as David and Solomon, but even greater in some regards, that would come and deliver them once again and lead them to independence as a nation and encourage their Jewish identity. I'm sure that their minds thought about how this Messiah would come to save them and to save their nation. Just as we talked about last night, as we talked about last night, this confession that was made, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior, they thought of him in particular as the Christ. Now, remember in the New Testament, we find the word Christ. It is the, in the Hebrew, its equivalent is Messiah. So it's this idea of the anointed one, the king that somehow was going to come and bring salvation to the nation. And in so many ways, Jesus did bring salvation and fulfillment to the Jewish people. He certainly did. He fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He fulfilled the, those kingly prophecies that had been given. But I want to remind you this morning that Jesus was not just a Jewish king. He was not coming just to save the nation of Israel. Oh, yeah, he fulfilled all those things. I said that. Yes, he came for his people in so many ways to restore them and to show them what God's presence was to be like, what God's power was, to, how it was to be experienced. He was to show them salvation itself. But as we come this morning... We know that Jesus is not just the Savior of a certain nation or a certain ethnic group. No. Jesus himself is the Savior of the world. He is the only Savior. Luke in particular fleshes this out. I'm not sure the shepherds understood all of this that night, but certainly... Dr. Luke, as he is writing, reflecting upon Jesus' ministry, as he's recording these things, these good news, Dr. Luke understood it. And even as we look back today, we understand that the salvation was not just for the Jewish people, but that the salvation was for all peoples, for us in particular who are here, who have had faith and trust and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Dr. Luke, I think, has that theme here in, in his gospel in particular. Matthew, when he writes, Matthew, when he writes, he is really trying to demonstrate to his Jewish brothers and sisters, because he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, he's trying to remind them that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Now, he did not do that exclusively, but he was trying to have this emphasis in his gospel to remind them that, he, that Jesus was the one that had been promised. But Dr. Luke, he has a little different emphasis. As the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write, 
as he was drawing from his sources, some believe that he was speaking to Mary herself, that Mary had given him some of the information about that night. Now, those conversations, those interviews, those must have been something, right? Of just Mary reflecting back. Because here, as Dr. Luke says, she thinks about it. She ponders them in her heart. She just kind of keeps them in. But to think about the possible interview. Could you imagine sitting down and interviewing Mary? Tell us about that night. Tell us about this baby. Tell us about his life and his ministry. You know, Dr. Luke, as he's getting all of his sources, as he's thinking, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, he presents to us, especially in his gospel, this universal Lord, this Lord who has come for all of the earth. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I get questions about the different lineages of Jesus. When you look at Matthew, you find a certain lineage, the way they trace Jesus back to his ancestors. In Luke, you see another lineage, and they seem to have some differences, and some of the detractors of the faith will certainly say, Aha, see the contradictions? There are no contradictions in God's Word. God intends for every word to be right here before us. God inspired the writer. So how would you explain some of this? Well, there are different explanations. Personally, as I've studied the Scripture, I do believe Matthew is just reminding us of the lineage of Joseph, which would have been very natural to trace the father's lineage. But Luke gives us the lineage of Mary because I believe he was talking to her and he was putting it together. But it is interesting that as Matthew traces Jesus' lineage, he traces it back to Abraham. Rightly so. Abraham being the father of faith. Abraham being the father of the nation of Israel. What did I say to you? Matthew's emphasis was upon presenting Jesus as the, well, as the fulfillment of the Messiah. He was the Messiah. was the Christ. Luke, when he's tracing his lineage back, he traces it all the way back to Adam. Why would he go all the way back to Adam? Because as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, the Holy Spirit inspired his emphasis, he was trying to show that Jesus, yes, he was the Christ, yes, he was the Messiah of the nation, but he was also the Savior of the world. You could go all the way back to Adam. He is the Savior of all nations, not just one. And oh, how proud we should be today. How thankful and how grateful that God didn't just zero in on one nation or people group, but that God wanted all people groups to come before him and worship him. That all people groups stood in the need of a Savior. And Jesus came to save all of us. How wonderful that is for us that we can celebrate this Christmas morning. I am so thankful that we have not been left out of God's plan. I am so thankful that we have not been left out of God's salvation and forgiveness. God came. He came as a man, the God-man. And He was the Savior. I, I do believe as I read this, as I hear this announcement, there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior which who is Christ the Lord. I believe the shepherds did focus upon this king, upon this 
upon this Messiah that would lead them to some anti-Roman utopia. But what we have seen is not only do we celebrate a king, a Christ, we celebrate a savior. Why do we need to be saved? I mean, the purpose of Jesus, as I mentioned last night, was to bring salvation. Remember, his name itself means Yahweh saves, God saves. A form of Joshua, Jesus, God saves. What does he save us from? Well, Matthew 121, I think I read last night, says that he comes to save his people from their sins. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody in this place, everybody, well, we are sinners. We are flawed. We're broken. We're tarnished. But God sent to us a Savior. See, the shepherds, I, I think they believed there was a political solution to this or somehow a military solution to this. If they just had the right warrior to lead them against Rome, if they just had the right person, the right politician that would step in and lead their nation. My friends, the issue was not which warrior that they would choose or which politician would rise to the top. The issue for the nation of Israel and for us all, the issue itself is whether a Savior would come to save us from our sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Every one of us. What an excitement. What a celebration it should bring in our hearts to know that he has saved us from our sins. And all that goes with it, right? All that goes with it. The wages of sin is what? Death. So Jesus came to save us from sin and from death, from all, from all of those things that Satan would have for us, Jesus came to save us. He saved us from that. May I say this to you? He is the only one that can save us from that. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been preaching a series called the untouchables. Those of you who are here, nod so that the visitors think you listen to me, okay? <laughs> Been preaching this series on the untouchables and really addressing some of the cultural things of our, that we experience daily, addressing those questions and, and, and trying to bring the truth with a sensitive heart and sensitive spirit. That's what I prayed to do. And, and today... I'm closing it out. Somebody earlier said, you've moved on from Genesis. <laughs> yes. But this is still an untouchable. In what way? Why would this be classified in that series? Why would it be classified as addressing the culture around us? My friends, when we proclaim that Jesus is the only way, it flies in the face of the cultural message we're hearing today. When we say that there is only one way of salvation and there is only one Savior, it goes against 
what is being taught in so many different places. Today, it's the idea that all individuals and all religions, well, they're just as good as the other one. Everybody's okay. As long as you're religious, as long as you're spiritual, you will be fine. My friends, you cannot be more wrong. As a picture I painted a few weeks ago, is that most religions, get this, most religions say that you have to somehow get your way to God, work your way there. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. As long as I keep working hard enough and giving enough effort, I'll finally get to the top of the mountain and I will meet God. I want you to know first, you'll never, you will never know God through personal effort and work. You'll never know him through your own pursuits. You'll never know him through your own efforts. You'll never experience forgiveness and blessing through what you think you can do. Never. But this is the good news. And this is, to paraphrase the angel, you don't have to go up to him. He came down to you. He knew you could never reach it to heaven itself, but he came to you. Heaven touched earth itself so that you can know who God was and you can know his salvation and his forgiveness. That is what we celebrate in the incarnation. That is what we celebrate this morning is that we could never get, our, get to him, but he came to us in his grace and his favor and provided the salvation that we so desperately needed. And he is the only one worthy. He is the only one that can bring such salvation. He was the God-man embodying the divine and the human. He was the one that lived a perfect life and ministered and taught in authority. He is the one that gave his life for us, a sacrificial and sufficient death. He is the one that rose again. He is the only one that has the right and the power. He is the only one that can bring salvation and forgiveness to our lives. What does he save us from? He saves us from sin. We are a messy people. We always have been. We are a rebellious people. We are a disobedient people. But God loved us. And while we were still sinners, he came for us and died for us. Our true need is salvation and forgiveness. That's the reason he came to save us from our sins. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, well, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us scientists. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. He sent us a Savior, again, for all of us. And we only come to salvation and forgiveness through him. Jesus later said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. It's only through Christ. He is the only Savior. And we must hold to that message. 
We must reject that universalism that tries to creep into our churches and creep into our lives. We must proclaim the exclusive salvation of Christ Jesus. That is the reason we come today. And to recognize what he has done for us. He saved us from sin and death and all the consequences it brings. But my friends, he didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. He saved us for a relationship. We can now relate to the God above. He, he saved us for a life, for eternal life, for us to enjoy and to know that through him we can have life and have it more abundantly. He has come to save us not just from sin, but he has, called, he has saved us for the service of the kingdom. And today, on this Christmas day, I pray that we would commit ourselves once again to that service, that we would relish the life that he has given us, that we give thanks to him for the relationship that we have, and that as we move in very quickly to a new year, that we will nurture that relationship daily in our lives. Because he is Jesus, the only Savior our Savior, that we celebrate today. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you for, for providing the forgiveness that we so desperately needed. I thank you this morning that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I thank you for coming to us, for literally sending your presence, sending your son to us when we never could have achieved the heights of heaven on our own. I join with my brothers and sisters in Christ here, Father, to glorify you just as the angels did many years ago. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to recognize that, yes, you are a Savior and you provide salvation, but, Lord, that you've not just saved us from sin. I pray that you would help us and encourage us to recognize that you have saved us for service and that you have saved us for life itself and for the relationship that we can enjoy with you. And when we leave this place today, may we walk with that sense of purpose and intention in our lives. God, I pray that we would be vessels who convey the good news of Christ. Lord, just as you chose that angel that night to make that announcement, you have chosen us, your church, your people, to go and to let all nations know that there is one Savior. And Father, I pray we are obedient to that, that we go forth so that all nations would have the privilege of knowing forgiveness in their lives that every person would hear this good news. God, give us the stamina, the resources. Lord, empower us as you have through your Holy Spirit to make your name known among the nations themselves so that, Lord, next Christmas, there will be many others who will rejoice in this news and who will glorify your Son in their hearts and lives. 
We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning?